morning, Lighthouse family. Let's worship together. Sing it out. Angels, we have heard on high, sweetly
I feel like sometimes our dances feel like they rule and reign over us. And, and just that reminder that he is over our circumstances. He's over COVID. He's over uh, our world, even when it feels like it's spinning out of control. I'm really glad that you're with us, even if we can't be in the same room together. I'm glad that you have joined us. And I know that this Christmas feels different from any other Christmas that, Christmas that we have uh, experienced a lot of the things that we have come to expect and look forward to, we're just not able to do. And so with that, we have been looking for creative ways that we can join together and be together and just kind of prepare our hearts for Christmas. There's a couple of things I want to let you know about before I even dive in uh, to our message this morning. The first thing is, for you families, those of you who are, have kids or you're just kids at heart, we want to do a drive-in movie, and we're going to do that on Sunday, uh, December 20th, out in our parking lot. We're going to have a, a, a screen that we're going to put up. We're going to show the movie The Star, which is an animated movie. They did a really great job of telling the Christmas story from a creative perspective. It's going to be at 5.30 p.m. You will stay in your car. You'll be able to listen to it and, and watch it on the screen here. If you want to join other families from Lighthouse and do that, I encourage you to join us on December 20th. That's a Sunday at 5.30 p.m. in our big parking lot. Ashley's going to be sending you more information on that. The second thing is Christmas Eve. Traditionally, we gather in this room, we pack it out, we stick every last chair in here, and we have a, a couple of Christmas Eve services where we get to light candles. And that's not going to happen in here this year. Uh, the reality is I think all of us are recognizing the COVID numbers really are starting to rise. And there's people within our own church now that we're learning um, have been exposed to COVID and stuff. So in that, we want to be really cautious. So there's two ways that you can join us for Christmas Eve. 
The first way would be online, just like you're joining us right now, as a live stream at 3 p.m. We're going to be live streaming our Christmas Eve service. It will be available all Christmas Eve and all Christmas morning and for pretty much ever because it's going to be on our website and you can watch it at any point with your family. Or if you would prefer to be in person, we haven't done an outdoor service at all this year, but we felt like, you know what, Christmas Eve is one of those times it's worth doing if only so that we can pass the flame. So at 4.30 p.m. in our large parking lot, we invite you to come and join us, dress warmly, bring a face mask, and we're going to worship together, and we're going to pass the flame. So I hope that you'll join us. And with that, we're going to dive into our message this morning. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Because traditionally, where we tend to go is into the, the Gospel of Luke. That's where the Christmas story, as we have come to know it, comes from. That's where, you know, it starts with the angel showing up to Elizabeth and talking about the fact that she's going to have a child, John the Baptist. And then the angel shows up to Mary and says, guess what? God's got a plan for you. And then the angels show up to the shepherds and all of that. All, the, the Christmas story, as we traditionally remember it, is found in Luke. And we're going to go there on Christmas Eve. But since this year is so radically different from any other year we've experienced, we figured it was an opportunity to do things a little bit differently as well. And there's a second iteration, a second telling of the Christmas story found in the book of Matthew. But the book of Matthew approaches it radically different than Luke does. I mean, for instance, the book of Matthew opens with a genealogy of all things, which is like the least Christmassy thing you could ever imagine. Uh, I mean, good luck making a Hallmark movie out of the genealogy. But there's a reason why Luke chooses to start that way. Remember, he's writing to a whole bunch of Jews who are waiting for their Messiah. They've been waiting for centuries. I mean, consider this for a moment. We think that we've been waiting a really long time. It's been nine and a half, almost ten months that this whole COVID craziness has been going on. And we think that's a long time. Try waiting entire generations for your Savior to show up, for something to change, for promises that you know God has given you to actually come to pass. And all that while, children are born with this hope of a Messiah. They grow old. They pass on that hope of a Messiah to their children. They die off with the hope of a Messiah. And all the while, there is a, a nation, the nation of Rome, that reigns over them, that dictates every aspect of their lives. And it just feels like Rome is winning. And they, you find yourself asking, how long, Lord? With that in mind, nine and a half months doesn't seem all that long. And yet... Matthew opens his gospel with really good news. The Messiah that they have been waiting generations for has come. And no, this Messiah doesn't look like what they would expect. Because the people were waiting for a conquering king who would rise up with a sword in hand and throw off the heavy yoke of Rome. But that's not what Jesus came to do. He came to conquer a much more ancient, more insidious enemy namely sin and death. They were expecting their Messiah to come and restore the nation of Israel to its place on the world stage. Jesus came for a very different reason, to restore the image bearers of God back into relationship with the one who made them to do life with him and to reflect him into this world. And so, no, Jesus may not have looked like what they were expecting, but Matthew's good news is your long-awaited Messiah has come, and I want you to know that. But, of course, the first question that the Jews would have asked is, well, does he come from the house and the line of David? Because one expectation was that the Messiah would be a fulfillment of the promise that God had made to David hundreds of years before, namely, that you will always have somebody on the throne of David, that your throne will be established forever. And so the Jews fully anticipated that the Messiah would come from the house and the line of David. So right out of the gate, Matthew makes a point of showing that Jesus is in fact from the house and the line of David, not through Mary, but rather through Joseph. 
And that's why, even though Joseph is typically looked at as a bit player, right? it's funny, I, we have this nativity scene back here. And um, this here is Joseph. This is about as two-dimensional as Joseph typically seems to us, isn't it? I mean, this is about as, as fleshed out as Joseph seems. He's in our nativities, but he's just a bit player. He's just along for the ride. His name is only mentioned a couple of times. He never says a word in any of the Gospels. And yet, for Matthew, he's, he's not just a bit player. He's a central character. He is an in- integral part of the good news because it's through Joseph that Jesus ultimately becomes a part of the house and the line of David. And so today, as we transition from the genealogy of Jesus and we continue through Matthew's gospel, we're going to lean into Joseph and say, okay, what would this have been like for him to be thrust into God's redemptive story when he certainly didn't feel capable of being a part of it? Let's go ahead and begin reading in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. All right, let's pause right there. We're just going to slowly work through this and unpack it. Being pledged to be married to somebody is similar to an engagement, but so much more. What would happen in the first century Jewish culture is that a, a, two sets of parents would discuss their children and say, hey, let's go ahead and betroth them to one another. And when that decision was made, they became pledged. And in that moment, it was tantamount to them being married. This isn't just like a, an engagement where you put a ring on the finger and now you go to premarital and you figure out whether you're really going to be a good match. And if you figure out, no, nope, not really, then here's the ring back have a wonderful life. Being pledged was tantamount to being married, except you were not fully married. It was a time of waiting. It was a time of preparation. It was a time of the husband going and preparing a home for his wife. It was a time for the bride-to-be to prepare herself. Both of them were waiting for one another. Neither of them were connecting with one another sexually. Neither of them was living together. It was a time of preparing one's heart. But imagine then, what it, would have gone, what it would have been like for Joseph when Mary shows up and throws him a curveball. <laughs> because as the Christmas story reminds us, just as this year has reminded us, life does not always go the way we plan. That was certainly true for Mary and Joseph. And God threw Mary a curveball when he said, guess what? You are going to carry my son, the Messiah, into this world And one day Mary shows up to Joseph and says, hey, I I need to tell you something. I'm pregnant. And God is the one who made me pregnant. And I just need you to tell you, I'm still a virgin. Now, could you imagine what would have been going on in Joseph's mind when she shared that with him? I mean, what, what would he have been feeling? Anger? Disappointment? Embarrassment? What is this gonna mean? I mean, I I just, for a moment, want to try to put myself in Joseph's sandals and say, what would have been going through his mind? I mean, on the one hand, if I were him, I would have felt incredibly embarrassed because this is going to get out. People are going to find out that my bride-to-be is pregnant. And I know I'm certainly not the father, but they're going to think I am. And on the flip side, he's thinking, you know, I cared about her. I was preparing a a home for us. I was preparing a life for us. And now she's pregnant. I want to believe her, but this is just too ridiculous. This is just too far out there. The more likely story is that she's been fooling around with somebody else, and she's just not willing to tell me the truth, and so she's trying to blame God. But Joseph is a man of character. And so rather than trying to throw her to the mob and let them tear her apart, he decides that he is going to try to, you know, dissolve their marriage contract quietly so as not to throw her under the chariot. Let's keep reading in verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, 
was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You know, there's a a saying that I've heard a lot of times before. It says that character is revealed in times of conflict. In times when things are difficult, that is when our true character is exposed, for better or for worse. And I think this moment of conflict, this curveball, really exposes Joseph's heart. Because the reality is he's not vindictive. He's not looking to destroy her publicly because she's wound up pregnant. He wants to, but he's a man of honor as well. And yet, he could never have anticipated what came next. Verse 20, after Joseph has considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Matthew reminding us, that Joseph is connected to the house and the line of David. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means God saves. And God was basically reminding him this is what he is coming to do to save his people from their sins, not from Rome. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. All right, for a moment, just consider what must have been going through Joseph's mind when he woke up from that dream. I'm sure that the the picture of the angel was still vivid in his mind's eye. The first thought, the first feeling probably would have been a sense of relief, right? She hasn't been lying to me. I mean, I can't believe it. What she was telling me is true, as as ridiculous as it seems. Wait a minute. Does that mean I'm the one who's going to have to apologize here? Typical, right? And, And then he would have begun to think of the ramifications of that. Wait a minute. Why me? I mean, I'm a carpenter. Who am I to raise God's son? Who am I to raise a king? And why us? I mean, who are we? She's, I'm just a carpenter. She's just this young teenage girl. We're from some Galilean backwater town. Why would God ever entrust the raising of his son to us? And yet, as overwhelming as that may have seemed, Read how Joseph responds. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph did everything that God commanded him to do irrespective of the cost. And let's just think for a moment of the cost. By marrying Mary quickly, as her stomach begins to swell, what he was setting himself up for was the rumor mill to begin to spin into overdrive. Oh yeah, Joseph and Mary, that's the couple that couldn't wait. I thought he was such an upstanding man. Why on earth would he ever have done that. That's just so beneath him, right? And yet Joseph was willing to endure the whispers, the accusations, because he trusted God more than he feared the opinions of other people. So he's like, forget it. Doesn't matter what other people say. I'm going to marry this girl. I'm going to take her home to be my wife. But he was unwilling to consummate the marriage until after she'd given birth to Jesus so that they could protect the virgin birth even though people wouldn't believe it. If it was even only just them, between them and God, he was obedient to them. And then the last thing he did, and this is probably the most significant for Matthew's purpose, is that he gave this child the name Jesus. He chose to name Jesus. Jesus, meaning God saves This is significant because in the Middle Eastern culture, only the father had the right to name the child. 
And yes, God the Father had given Joseph what the name would be, but it was Joseph who spoke it into existence. His name will be Jesus. God saves because he's coming to save his people. And in so doing, what Joseph was declaring to everybody, including himself, is I'm willing to be his father. I'm willing to take upon myself the weight of this responsibility. I'm willing to raise this child even though I feel completely and utterly overwhelmed by it. And apparently, he did a good job. Because as, as one theologian that I read, a guy named Ray Pritchard put it, when Jesus grew up and began his ministry, he chose one word above all others to describe what God is like. He called him Father. And where did Jesus learn about fathers? From Joseph. You know, part of my hope this morning is that we can put ourselves into Joseph's place for a moment and just consider what it would have been like. So one of my favorite songs that I found myself listening to each Christmas is a song written from Joseph's perspective as he considers the gravity of what he's being asked to do. My friend Brad has agreed to, to sing it for us this morning. So let's consider Joseph's perspective of being a father. How could it be this baby in my arms sleeping now so peacefully the son of God sun shines again how could it be How could it be? 
You know, I, I've been thinking a lot about what we can learn from Joseph's inclusion in the Christmas story as told by Matthew. One of the first thing it reminds me is the same thing that it reminded us of last week with the genealogy of Jesus and, and some of those unexpected names that we found along the way. And that's that God does not just use perfect people. In fact, the only perfect person he ever used is Jesus. Every other person that you find used in the story of God's redemptive plan, was an imperfect, unworthy vessel. You got Tamar and Rahab and, and David and Bathsheba. You've got Matthew, the guy who's recording this gospel, who was a, a tax collector turned disciple and an ambassador of Jesus. And you've got Joseph. Now, here's the thing about Joseph. He wasn't spectacular in any way, shape, or form but he was obedient, and he was willing to allow God to use him. He was faithful to God, even when it would cost him dearly. I mean, if you had a stack of resumes that you were using to try to determine who would be the right person to raise the Son of God, Joseph would never make the grade. His, his resume would have been one of the first ones to be circular filed, because there was nothing about him that you would ever expect God could use. He's just a carpenter from nowhere. He has no political pedigree. He has no power. He has no education. And yet it's oh, his obedience, it's his faithfulness, it's his willingness to be used that God uses. And this isn't just a one-time thing. I mean, we see this all throughout Scripture. God uses people that the world would deem unusable, and he uses them to bring about his purpose and his plans specifically so that he gets the glory, not the vessel. And that's good news for us. Because let's be honest, we're imperfect too. And there, God has no reason to use us in his redemptive plans, and yet he does as well. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. As he's writing to these Corinthian believers, he says this, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that nobody can boast before him. So that none of us can beat our chests and say, yeah, of course God wants to use me. I know that there are many of us listening right now who, like Joseph, would probably look at yourself as you consider the fact that God might possibly use you in his redemptive purpose and plans in this world, and you'd go, not me. Why, Why me? I'm unworthy. And I would agree with you, you are unworthy. And so am I, and so is Jeff, and so is every other man, woman, and child whom God has used in his redemptive plans. We are unworthy. But this is the beauty of how God has approached the world is that he uses imperfect vessels to pour out his perfect love. But I have a warning for us as we consider whether to allow God to use us. And here's the warning. If God does choose to use us as I believe he is even now, if we can learn anything from the Christmas story, it's this. It may not happen in our timing, and it may not happen in a way that is convenient for us. <laughs> it was certainly not convenient for Joseph and Mary. Having her get pregnant before they were married, that wasn't convenient. Having a census that was called, that, that forced them to travel 90 miles overland to get to Bethlehem, that wasn't convenient. 
And yet God used each of those pieces, including so many more that we'll continue to explore next week and on Christmas Eve. He used so many of those pieces to bring about his purpose and his plans. And so if God is going to use us, it may not happen the way that we would expect. It may not be comfortable. It certainly won't be convenient. And that is a good reminder for us as we walk through a year that has been full of curveballs is that we can't expect that there shouldn't be curveballs. Following Jesus doesn't insulate us from the curveballs of life. If anything, it promises us that they're going to come. But that's why it's so imperative that we keep our eyes on God. I have one last reminder for us. Because there's a part of me that wants so desperately to be used by God, and by being used by him, I start thinking in grand pictures of moments of glory, right? Those moments of the mountaintop experiences where you just go, man, God is present. And that was such a powerful moment. And yes, those happen. That moment when Joseph wakes up from his dream, it's a pivotal moment where he has to make a decision. Do I say yes? Do I take Mary home to be my wife? Or do I throw her to the wolves? Because it's going to cost me. And in that moment, that was a very big mountaintop moment. And yet what followed was day after day after day of mundane, seemingly insignificant moments, of changing diapers, of wakeless night, or sleepless nights, of cleaning scraped knees, And yet that was just as important as the decision to lean in and be used by God. His daily investment into his son, teaching him how to swing a hammer, teaching him how to skip rocks, teaching him how to clean and gut a fish, teaching him how to talk to girls, teaching him how to talk to his heavenly father. Each of those were things that he did that we don't read about but were just as important as the first decision. And I would remind us of the same thing. We often focus on one moment, that moment of saying yes to Jesus, of accepting him into our heart, and we can't underestimate the power of that initial decision. But what follows is day after day after day of seemingly mundane, seemingly insignificant decisions spending time in his word, spending time talking to him, praying, those moments that nobody else sees and yet are so foundational to our relationship. The the ways that we move towards hurting people even when we don't have our camera to take a picture so we can post it on social media so you can get lots of likes. Those seemingly insignificant moments are the moments that really matter because they're the foundation to a a life lived in the same direction. I love, there's this book that I read called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That is what it means to say yes to Jesus. That is what it means to answer his invitation to follow me. It's not a one-time momentary decision. It is a lifetime of choosing to follow him in the mundane, even when people aren't around to see it. So may we be the kind of people who, like Joseph, hold our lives out and say, here I am. Help yourself to me. I trust you more than I fear the opinions of people around me. Help yourself to my life. Walk me through the crises of this world. Help me to keep my eyes fixed on you. Help yourself to my life, God. Let's pray. Father God, we stand before you as a people who are called by your name, who are admittedly unworthy to be used by you, and that's why we're so grateful that you use us anyway. And right now, this morning, we invite you to help yourself to our lives the same way you did with Joseph, the same way you did with Mary. Thank you for using imperfect vessels to pour out your perfect love. Thank you for using us. 
We pray that as we enter into this Christmas season, you would give us the eyes to recognize where you're moving and wisdom to know how to join you. We pray that we would not fix our eyes on our circumstances, but would keep our eyes firmly fixed on you. May you glorify yourself through us, not just in those moments where other people's eyes are on us, but in the mundane moments when it doesn't seem like anybody notices. May we be faithful then as well. Jesus, in your holy name, amen. Let's worship together.
is quaked before moved by the sound of his voice and sees that our shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken from my regard through it all through it all my eyes are on you through it
song and the song before it, it, it feels like that song for many of us, because I know what some of you are going through. I know what my own family is going through in this season. And I, know, I think for many of us, that song is less a declaration of truth as it is a prayer to God. Would you please, God, meet me in the midst of the messiness of this world? And would you bring that peace that transcends my circumstances? Because, Lord, I need it. Right now, I'm weary. Right now, I'm scared. Right now, I'm agitated about what I see going on in the world. Right now, I'm agitated about what, what's going to happen in 2021. Guys, we're not promised easy, carefree lives. Anybody who suggests that you are if you follow Jesus hasn't read the Bible. If God would allow Jesus to walk through this, if God would allow his disciples to walk through this, then we can rest assured that in this world we're going to have trouble. And many of us are experiencing that right now. But we can take heart in the fact that because of what he did on the cross, because of his willingness to enter into our reality and what he was willing to endure for us, the brokenness of this world will not get the last word. That's the hope that we have. And so may we keep our eyes fixed on God, the author and the perfecter of our faith, his son Jesus. May we consider him who endured such hardship from sinful people so that we will not grow weary and lose heart as we journey through this sin-scarred world. If you are at home right now and you are carrying something heavy, we want to carry that with you. We want to lift it up in prayer. And I would ask that you would just send any prayer requests you have to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. We want to join you in praying through that we would have the eyes to see God moving in the midst of the brokenness. Furthermore, if you want to give to Lighthouse and its ministries, you can do so at our website, lighthousecommunity.com. There's a link to do it right there. But may we remember that we are not walking through this alone. We have a God 
who spoke this world into existence. We have a God who doesn't stand far off but enters into our reality. We have a God who is willing to take upon himself the pain that is due to us. All because he loves us and he calls us his own. And that's the peace that we can find in the midst of our brokenness. So have a wonderful week. We love you. And I look forward to getting to continue to worship with you as we walk through this Christmas season. Have a great week. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith would be stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me. Oh, I-